you can turn there. Romans 14 is the passage of Scripture where Paul deals with some of the things that there in Rome they were obviously having problems with. Now, the church in Rome was an amalgamation of all sorts of people. Um, Jews who had converted to Christianity and came from Jerusalem and elsewhere and migrated there to Rome because it was the center of you know, the employment opportunities and everything. A lot of Gentiles who knew nothing about Judaism, who heard the gospel from the various missionaries that went out. And so they had come to faith in Christ without the Jewish background. There were people who had been walking with the Lord for quite a while. There were others who were new converts. And it was a mixture of people. And anytime there are different people trying to get together, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have problems because we all see things differently. Those of you who are married know that even if there are only two of you, there are at least three opinions about almost everything because, you know, we just, we're different. We see things differently, and that's okay. That's the way God made us, and the answer so often in churches has been the absolute wrong answer, and that is If you're not just like us, then go find a church that's just like you. And so as a result, and and, uh, church growth people made it a real principle of the church growth movement, and they call it homogeneous units, that basically you need to have one demographic, and that becomes your church. And as a result, you don't have all these discrepancies and all these difficulties and all of these disagreements. Um, It doesn't work. It's funny because when you're in a church that's very homogeneous, sometimes they fight even more than in a church that has a variety of people. But see, the truth is God wants his church to, individual churches, I think, to look like his church, the body of Christ as a whole. And therefore, we should be embracing people who are different than we are. Obviously, there were times in our country where Churches were completely segregated on on racial and ethnic backgrounds. Sometimes that's the case because of a linguistic issue, and that's a whole different thing. But there are churches that are just primarily older people. There are churches primarily younger people. There are churches that seem to appeal to upper-middle-class people. There are churches that seem to appeal to those who are in a more difficult economic demographic and so on. Part of it has to do with the neighborhood where the church is. But in reality, the body of Christ, you don't see Jesus until you have an expression of the variety that is in the body of Christ. And unfortunately, a lot of times, we're not very good at appreciating that. We're not very good at saying, you know, it's really cool because we have a lot of people in our church who are really different than I am, and I love that. I like the variety. I like the the combination. I like you know, instead we tend to come to a church and we look around and if people don't look kind of like us, then we move on and try to find a place where people look like us. But when we discover how the body of Christ is supposed to work and when you are in an opportunity in a situation whereby different people are getting along you recognize why God made us this way. Because there isn't 
any one of us that can depict perfectly who Jesus is, who God is, because he is so much bigger than we are, as the song we just sang, How Great Thou Art. Each of us sees a very limited aspect of God, usually the part of God that we can kind of relate to. And there's a lot more to God than just what we know. And we see that when we interact with people who are different than we are. But the upshot of that is we've got to learn to get along with people different than we are if we are really going to be what the body of Christ is supposed to be. And quite often the church doesn't do that well. We force everyone into a funnel whereby you know, it, in this Venturi sort of an effect, everything is whoom and just sucked in and what you come out on the other side looks alike. And that's a shame. It's really a shame whenever someone, you know, has a little different perspective on things and they go, well, you obviously don't agree with me, so I'm leaving. Because everyone's perspective has a place in the body of Christ. Everyone's taste has a place in the body of Christ. Everyone's opinions about what's acceptable or not has a place in the body of Christ. And as we interact with people who are different than we are, we, our perspective becomes broadened greatly. It, for instance, it's easy for me to make categorical statements about Catholics if I don't really know some Catholics, especially if I know Catholics who really love God and are committed to him. And there definitely are some. There are some people who haven't been around Catholics enough to even have ever met a Catholic who's really born again, who, who has the Spirit of God working in their life. Now, okay, I get it. If you're a Catholic, the Catholic Church doesn't offer everything that you'd think you would want, and you kind of think that eventually a Catholic who's born again is going to find their way to a church that looks like us or that teaches the Bible. And yeah, that's my perspective. Obviously, I'm here, okay? So I'm not a Catholic. I'm not drawn to the way that they do things. But you know what? I'm really broadened in my perspective when I, whenever I sit down and fellowship with some of my brothers and sisters in the Lord who who may be Catholic or who may be Eastern Orthodox. There are some things that they do that put me to shame, frankly. Their level of, of reverence for the Lord, their level of sensing the gravity of worship, their, their perspective on the value of history. And you know, a lot of those things, they do better than we do. But if, it's much safer and easier if you just don't even think about that. You put them in a category and you shove them off in the corner and you keep just being the way that you are. There are churches that tend to be much more obviously promotional, churches that tend to be much more attractional, they often call them, or seeker-friendly. And it's real easy to just categorize those people as, oh yeah, those guys, they're that way. They're All they care about is hype and it's just a bunch of energy and there's nothing really happening and no substance, but I have friends who minister in those types of churches and who fellowship in those types of churches who are deeply committed to Jesus Christ and who, have, who are driven by a, a desire to serve God, to see people get saved, to build them up in their faith and things like that. Now, 
If in your head you're going, no, they aren't. Come on, there aren't any Catholics that are saved. There aren't any people from these hype, attractional churches that are really deeply in love with the Lord and everything. Well, if you think that, you don't get out enough. You know, and you, you, you're not meeting enough people within the body of Christ. Now, I'm not trying to persuade you to their position. Obviously, I teach what my perspective is. But at the same time, I'll hear, you know, um, today I was listening to a, a preacher who's a strong Calvinist. Now, I am not a Calvinist, never even really been accused of being a Calvinist, except by some really extreme Arminians. But this guy was preaching a great message. Now, he came to a point in the message where he veered off into what I regard as a distinction of Calvinism, but I can understand where he's coming from. I can see where he gets it. I don't agree with him. But he's my brother in Christ, and I, and I praise God for him, even as I do for somebody who's a real strong Arminian who believes that you can just be losing your salvation on a daily basis and getting it back. I, I appreciate some of that emphasis, too. Now, we get to heaven, everyone will find out that I was right, but while we're on the <laughs> earth, while we're here, that's the body of Christ. That's the way it looks. And there are some people who are going to like one type of music, other people who think a different way. There are some people who think that, you know, that you should really dress up for church, other people who think it's okay to be casual. But what Paul is getting into here is in a church where they were clashing, people were being destroyed. In fact, people were falling away from the Lord because of disagreements on some ethical issues that they took very seriously, but they really took them too seriously. So much so that people were being damaged by it. And I don't think the church is all that much different than that today. Because people will, you know, I know people who's just, their fellowships have been destroyed over people arguing about whether or not The Shack is a good book. The Shack is a, is a novel written by a Christian, and a lot of people love it, a lot of people hate it. Some people are like, kind of like me, it's like, that's eh, okay, you know, it's not a big deal, I'm, I'm not raving about it. There are some people I think could really benefit from reading it, a lot of others not necessarily, and I read it and I don't just go, wow, this is amazing. But there are churches that are dividing over a book that... Three years from now, nobody's even going to remember what that book is. But they have such strong opinions about it. And the body of Christ ought to be a place where when we go, okay, how many of you have read The Shack and really were blessed by it? And, you know, a bunch of you would raise your hands, and the rest of us are okay with that. We're not, like, running over there afterwards to tell you how, you know, you better, you know, you could have gotten demon-possessed by reading that book, and you better come up and get somebody to pray for you. And it's all about, really what it comes down to is trusting the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide people, to help us to grow and to help us to mature and change however he wants us to, rather than for us to create a culture that then dictates to people how Christians ought to be. I don't have a right to tell you what the Christian life is supposed to look like for you. 
I can show you what the Christian life looks like to me because it's who I am. I just, you know, I'm, I try to be an open book as much as I can, and this is one way to live the Christian life, but you don't have to be like me to be a Christian to be a, or to be somebody who I would think, would hope would be happy in our church. I, I'll, you know, I would be very unhappy if I found out that everyone who goes to our church agrees with me on every major question. That would disturb me because I'd wonder, you know, okay, so we're all seeing things exactly the same in all of these areas that are controversial. You know, that there isn't even one of us that decides maybe the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation instead of at the beginning. Or there isn't one of us that goes, I don't know, I didn't listen to John Piper, and I think I'm kind of a five-point Calvinist. And, you know, yeah, I, you know, I, I speak in tongues. Oh, to me, speaking in tongues sounds really kooky and whatever. It, it, to me, there's something really disturbing if you don't have that kind of variety because it suggests brainwashing, frankly, or segregation, either one of which is devastating to the body of Christ. It's not about me trying to get you to agree with me. If you do that, it's not even a belief. It's not even a conviction. The Holy Spirit didn't give that to you. I gave it to you. And if you were going somewhere else, then you'd buy into their perspective. And that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. And at the same time, it's not, you know, I don't want a church whereby people leave every week because there's something that's taught that they don't agree with. I mean, we're family. That should be okay. That should be all right. Let's not be so insecure that we're threatened by anyone who's different than we are or see things differently than we are. Because my assumption is, I haven't arrived yet, and neither have you. And so I want to keep open to God doing different things. I don't want to get so locked in to my perspective that I quit changing. Because for me, being a Christian means opening yourself up to change, allowing God to show you different things. And so if there's one thing that I want for people in our church and people in the body of Christ as a whole, it's for you to listen to him to come to your own conclusions about what the Holy Spirit says. Now, I know I get a lot of time to talk to you, and therefore I can stack the deck, and, and I'm aware of that, and I really try not to cheat too much on that, and I try to let you know that there are some situations scripturally that there are some different perspectives that are legitimate, that are they're good people who, who believe it. And so I try not to stack it, but hey, Basically, what I'm telling you is what I feel like the Lord showed me, but what I want you to understand is that's not so that you'll get in line. It's not so that you will join the club. It's not so that you will feel pressured to not see things differently yourselves. If you ever get to the point where you can't think for yourself, then you also can't listen to the Spirit of God. And to me, that would be just devastating. And so... All that having been said, that's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. That's the biblical approach to a walk with God. So here in the Roman church, as Paul was writing to them, they had begun to fall into these huge fights over issues that Christians, good Christians, would disagree on. 
For them, some of them involved dietary restrictions. Some of them involved how to treat the Sabbath and the other festival days and things like that. And the people who came from a strong Jewish background and then got saved, it was very hard for them to get their head around the notion that maybe it's okay to eat a ham sandwich now. But at the same time, somebody who was raised as a Gentile and they love ham, it was a little hard for them to relate to Jews who were so stuffy about it. And so there was this clashing. There was also an issue of, for, from Gentiles of meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And if they had been involved in idol worship, for instance, and then they knew that some of this meat was purchased at the back door of a pagan temple, even though, I mean, the meat that we eat, no telling where it was, but, <laughs> but they were aware of it, and that became a stumbling block. Now, often it was just superstition. Sometimes it was honest misunderstanding of what the scriptures would say, other times it's, who knows, you look at it and wow, this is, a, this is a difficult issue to deal with. But Paul here in Romans 14 is calling them back to a, an appreciation for differences, an acceptance of people who see things differently than you do, and a maturity that helps you to work through these kinds of issues rather than getting stumbled on them and have happened, what happened is there are some people who would come to the church and then they would just listen to all this disputing and they would just go, this is crazy. These people can't get their acts together. So I don't want any part of this. And some people actually would reject Jesus Christ because of the fights that would go on in church over ethical issues, which is so crazy and so ironic, but that's what would happen. We lose all perspective. We make a big deal about something that shouldn't be a big deal. And so Paul wrote to them to address that issue. For us, very few of us have an issue with whether to eat meat or vegetables. Um, we certainly have our preferences, don't we? But, um, you know, nobody's going to get all worked up spiritually about it, or most people don't. Um, but, you know, there are other issues that maybe weren't an issue for them that might be for us today. We talked last week a little bit about the whole issue of, is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? People have differing opinions on that. You're not going to come up with a real clear, delineated explanation in Scripture that will solve the question for everyone. There are other issues um, in the past, like dancing or going to movies, or if so, what kind of movies should you go to? And, you know, should a Christian see a PG movie? Or how about PG-13? How about R? Well, not unless it's about Jesus, like the Passion of the Christ. Or if it's one of my favorite action stars, and it's R just because of blood, and, you know, then it's okay. You know, we go through all of these sorts of things about how do we define what we can do, and so often, everybody's throwing scripture verses out there that, to them, solve the question. A simple scripture like, abstain from the appearance of evil, for some people, solves every question. Now, when you apply it that way, you're taking that verse completely out of context, but it's just a nice way to win an argument if you want to win people to your perspective. Now, there are other things that, you know, you could... You could argue in Scripture. Now, some of them 
aren't controversial to us. But you take something like um, polygamy. You can actually argue from Scripture that that's okay because the man after God's own heart had multiple wives, for instance. And the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about that being a mistake. Now, most of us aren't going to go there. Some of you, I don't know, but I, most of us who, who have a wife recognize that that's really sufficient. But <laughs> you could argue about it if you want. Now, a practice like gambling. Now, some people go, man, you get into serious gambling situations, yeah, that's definitely a sin because you're supporting the, you know, the, the mafia and all that kind of stuff. But if you just... You know, buy lottery tickets, you're supporting the children, you know, for education. And, and, and so some people, you know, and they go, oh, if you buy a lottery ticket, even one lottery ticket, that's bad stewardship. God would never condone that. Other people would go, you buy a lottery ticket once in a while, it's no different than if you put a few, you know, or just like, you know, a... Uh, you know, one-armed bandit, drop a few quarters, same thing as dropping a few quarters in a vending machine. Don't make such a big deal about it. Somebody else is going, look, my uncle is horribly addicted to gambling, and the very fact that you would even think about doing that stumbles me, and I, you know. So, again, you go round and around, and, and I'm, you know, I'll be open with you. I, I personally, I don't have a big issue with, oh, that a Christian should never gamble, that if you ever, you know, buy a lottery ticket that you're in sin. I, I bought one lottery ticket and years and years ago, and I won $2, and I st- have quit. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm ahead by two bucks. You know, basically, I think the lottery is just a tax on morons. But beyond that, <laughs> because the odds are so much against you, it's just like, just go throw it in the sewer. That'll be f- just as much more fun, probably. But... If you're into that, I'm not going to make it a spiritual issue, okay? These are the kinds of things that we need to let people work out on their own. And we ought to be okay with the fact that sometimes we're going to come up with different conclusions. That, you know, if I hope it's okay with you that I don't gamble, and I hope it's okay with me if you do. I hope it's okay with you that for my own reasons... I choose not to drink alcoholic beverages. But it ought to also be okay that if you feel that, you know, God is leading you to do that and that's something that you have a liberty to do and it's a special thing for you to do, you like laying in the gutter drunk. No, you know, (laughs) you like having a nice glass of wine with dinner or whatever. I I hope I'm not going to come off and make you feel guilty. You know, it really hurt me a while back. Ann and I went to a restaurant and they were giving out free little glasses of champagne um, right over here. And, and a lady from our church was in there by herself, and, and she had a bottle of, or a little glass of champagne and saw us and just looked like, I am busted, I'm so busted. And I, and I, I just like, I, really, I invited her to come and eat with us, and she's like trying to hide this, you know. She felt so bad. She didn't feel bad at all till I showed up. And that really bummed me out, honestly, it really did. And I had a good talk with her about it and everything. But I thought, if I make someone feel like they can't be themselves, I obviously haven't convinced her that that's wrong, because I've harped on it. 
and now she feels comfortable having a glass of wine, there's no way that she should feel any different about it just because I'm there. You know, that's, that would be wrong. I'd hate it if I came to your house and you hid a bunch of your stuff, you know? That's just, God's there all the time. If it doesn't bother him, don't worry about what I think about it. So anyhow, all of this discussion kind of came down to, in verse 10, well, before that, I, I think we made it through verse 10, but he's saying, we don't, you know, none of us lives to ourselves we live or die to Christ. He is the Lord. So verse 10, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The word there for the judgment seat is the word bima. It was generally a, an award stand where you would come and get your rewards. And, you know, according to... 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which talks about this Bema seat of Christ. It's a place, it sounds like, where Christians will come and, and you'll be rewarded for the good things that you did while you were here on the earth. So it's not saying necessarily that God's going to punish you. He's just saying, you know what? Every one of us is going to answer to the Lord. We're going to stand before him. And why don't you just let God deal with rewarding somebody or not based on how they live their life. It isn't for you. It's not your place. And how different the church would be if there was no judgment, one person against another, because of decisions that we make or lifestyle choices that we have or whatever, based on you know what we feel God is leading us to do. And so he's just going, let, let Jesus be the judge. You stop doing that, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. A quote from Isaiah. So again, the idea is, everybody's going to answer to Jesus. Why don't you let your brothers and sisters answer to Jesus? Don't make them answer to you. They don't owe you an explanation. Now, People can clearly see if you make if you have a little different way of living than they do, if they respect you enough, they may come and ask you, what do you think about this? How have you worked through this issue in your life? And maybe you've earned the right to share with them. But until you've earned that right, which means basically until they come and ask you, just shut up about it. You're not their judge. You're not Jesus. They don't have to answer to you. And that's his major point that he's making here is, you know, let God handle the judgment because he sees people's hearts. And man, when we judge others, we can do so much damage by our judgment. And we can be really wrong. So then, verse 12, each of us shall give account of himself to God. God's not going to ask you to give an account for somebody else. You know, he's not going to say, why didn't you go warn that person about what they were doing? No, he can do that. If they're members of the body of Christ, they have the Holy Spirit living inside them. There are some people who think they have claimed that they have this calling to be watchmen. 
and, and they're supposed to look out for everyone else, and they're supposed to warn everyone about everything you ought to be afraid of and everything you ought to be concerned about. People build whole ministries around that. I'm telling you right now, that is not your calling. You are not to be a judge. Your calling is to accept everyone who names the name of Jesus and encourage them and build them up if they're a part of the body of Christ. It's his job to go find what we're doing wrong and to let us know. And he just has a perfect, gentle way of doing it. Now, there may be a time when you have the kind of relationship with someone where they really want to hear from you. Okay, well then, in love, as someone who's coming in a spirit of humility, sure, go ahead and share people from, with, with people your perspective on why you do what you do and what process you went through to get there. But until you've earned that right, don't take that calling upon yourself. You'll do much more damage than you'll do good. And the Holy Spirit's just way better at it than you are. So be really careful. Sometimes you need to talk to somebody, but the only time you should do it is if God is just making it so clear to you. Now, a lot of times people come to me and rat out people in our church who, do you know these people are doing this or this person is, ha, does this or whatever, and they, they like want me to go bust them or you know, go confront them or Matthew 18 them or whatever. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not the judge of the church. I'm not the head of the church. Jesus is. And when I hear that somebody's going through something, I'll pray and I'll ask God, God, if 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 you want me to get involved in this, then I pray that you'll just bring them to me and give me that opportunity. But I'm not going to stick my nose into somebody else's life when they aren't asking for it. I've done it. It's only asking for trouble. Now, every day I have people asking me, you know, for my advice or wanting to know, hey, pastor, what do you think about this? Okay, yeah, then I will tell you. I'll try to be fair and I'll kind of tell you how how I look at it, but I'm not going to go out of my way to go point out other people's errors because, as Paul says here, they have to answer to God. Now, if you believe that the Holy Spirit is inside of them, then you got to know he can do it in a perfect way, straighten out whatever's wrong with them. And he does it in a lot of ways. A lot of times there'll be a teaching that's just general teaching from the scriptures, and it totally nails somebody in an issue that they've been dealing with, and they know it's not personal because you've never talked about it before, and it just comes up, and it's like, wow, God, you're so faithful. Often it's from a teacher that you don't even know. You just happen to hear on the radio or whatever. I mean, or it's a book that you're reading, and wow, that really nailed me. That happens to me all the time. And I'd say that, you know, for myself, all the times that I've ever been confronted on something that I was doing wrong, I'd say the times that it actually worked and it brought about good in my life, probably 99.99% of the time, it wasn't somebody who came and confronted me. Oh, I get confronted every day. Most of the time, it just doesn't help, frankly. But God does it, and it works. So I'd rather have him do it than me do it, than the, for me to run the risk of hurting somebody. Now, there are people who come and go, hey, Dave, if you ever see me doing anything that you think is off, please, I want you to tell me. 
And whereas I appreciate that, um, I've had people tell me that, and then when I told them, they really didn't want to hear it. <laughs> kind of like, how do you think this outfit looks on me kinds of questions. So for the most part, I'll just go, to everyone, I'll just say, listen to the Lord. Get close to God and listen to what the Holy Spirit's telling you. I'll talk to you enough to help you to work through some of the major issues, but I ultimately want to leave you listening to him because he's the one that you have to answer to. He's the one that you need to please. And if he hasn't told you yet and you're still doing something that to me seems kind of weird, that's okay. Welcome to the body of Christ. I could be wrong. You could be wrong. You're probably more wrong than I am, but we're both wrong. You know, so it's like, I don't need to fix that. And I sure don't want to fix it by painting everything the same color. You get a bunch of stuff in a house that doesn't match, so paint everything beige. That's what some people do to the body of Christ. I hate that. I hate just coming in and it's like, wow, all these people are clones. They're just all the same. Somebody forced that. Somebody made that happen. The body of Christ is this incredible rainbow of, of colors and personalities and quirks and, and just this multifaceted image that ultimately when it all comes together, it, it looks like Jesus. And that should be our goal. And if that's going to happen, we've got to quit judging each other. We've got to quit making people feel like they need to, you know, they don't fit with us. No, you, you fit. And you ought to feel that way. And something's wrong if people make you feel like you don't fit because you're not like they are. And so again, Paul's just going, don't judge. You're going to answer to God. And so let's not do this anymore. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. But now he shifts gears a little bit. But rather resolve this. Make up your mind to do this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. And now he goes on for the rest of this chapter and part of chapter 15 to give a, another corresponding truth. We don't judge each other, but does that mean that I, I'm just going to do whatever I want and I don't care how it affects other people? Does that mean that it's like, no, you know, viva la difference, so therefore let's just all be as different as we can be? Um, because that doesn't work either. You don't want, the body of Christ is not a bunch of people just alike, crammed together, but it's also not a whole bunch of individuals who don't connect with each other, who don't influence each other and affect each other. And so he's saying, let's stop judging each other. So therefore, let's make it safe to be different. However, let's also not put a stumbling block. The word there, proskama, is a word that literally means to cut somebody down um, or cause to, to fall in our brother, cause to fall in our brother's way. And that word is a word scandalon that we get the word scandal from. And what it literally was, what a scandalos was, was a, was a trap where they took a, a branch and bent it over and strapped it down in order to, you know, you've seen them, it springs up and traps an animal. So what he's saying is, 
let's not allow our individualism to end up cutting down and laying a trap for our brothers. And how would this happen? Well, I mean, for one thing, if you flaunt something that you do, and it's like you don't care that people are sensitive to it, you've worked through the issue. Let's say that, you know, you have, um, you know, you're totally comfortable as a Christian in moderation drinking alcoholic beverages. So you have that liberty, and you want to make that point. So you decide to hang out here after the 1013 study when there are people there who have problems with addictions to alcohol, and you're just going to let them know, you know, someday you guys can, you know, hmm, boy, this is good stuff. I mean, don't you miss it? Because when you grow in Christ enough, we'll be able to tip a few together. I mean, and, and that's an extreme thing that maybe somebody wouldn't do, but there are some ways in which we can flaunt our liberty in a way that could just really devastate someone else. It, it could set them up. You know, we can decide, you know what, um, this person really has an issue with gambling, and it's, you know, they need to grow out of that. It's silly. So you take them out to dinner, and then you go, you go off and go, here, I bought two lottery tickets, one for you and one for me. Oh, no, I don't gamble. Well, you do now. That's your lottery ticket. And, you know, it's really okay. There's really no Bible verse that's against it. And it's not, you know, it's not trying to make people be like you by trapping them or by cutting them down, by damaging them. Hey, the, the very first rule for us is let's not hurt other people, okay? Yeah, let's not judge other people, but let's not hurt other people. Let's not do things that will devastate them and thus stumbling them and causing them to fall. Now, as we look through the rest of this chapter, he elaborates on this quite a bit. And the thing that I do want to make clear is he's not just talking about the fact that you might offend someone. If you decide that you're never going to do anything that will offend anyone else, we're all going to be beige. We're all going to be boring. We're just all going to be walking on eggshells and paranoid. And again, we'll start looking alike. And that's, that's not what we're after at all. He's not just talking about the fact that you know, your, you know, uncle thinks it's horrible that you go do this, or, you know, that your, um, you know, your parents will be so disappointed if they hear you took a ballroom dancing class because, oh, that's so scandalous or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about doing legitimate damage to someone. And as he goes on and talks about it, it's the kind of damage that will cause someone to not be saved, that will send someone to hell. This is not being sensitive to the scruples of some super spiritual person who's very mature in the Lord, who isn't in danger of being lost at all, but they just think that you ought to be more like them, and therefore you have to worry about them and kiss up to them and act more like them because, oh, they'll be so offended by you. Get over yourself. This isn't about being offended most of the time when we're offended, we should be offended because then it shows us we're too sensitive about this. And, and so 
In reality, God brings things across your path all the time that offend you, but it's to show you that you're being a wimp. It's not so that you tell them, oh, that offends me when you do that. However, there are stances that we can take that could really damage people, and a lot of times it's almost just the opposite of what Paul's talking about here. There are some people who are so offended by their impression of Christianity because all they've heard about is legalistic, rigid, strict approaches to Christianity that they look at you and they say, you don't have any fun at all. You seem to have no life. You're so judgmental. And as a result, they don't want anything to do with Christianity because of some Christians that they've met. That's more what Paul is warning about. On The Simpsons, and yes, I have watched The Simpsons. <gasps> the next door neighbor to Homer Simpson, <coughs> his name is Ned Flanders, and he's a Christian. And for the most part, Ned's a real good example of what a Christian ought to be. I mean, I, I, I think it's really cool that a TV show would have a, a Christian on there who's representative of a Christian. But there are times when he's just seen as being so legalistic. And one of those times, I remember their family was going to family camp. And they go, family camp? What's that for? And he goes, oh, that's where we go off with all the other Christians and learn to be more legalistic. <laughs> or more judgmental, he said. And there are some people, that's their impression of, we come to church every week to learn how to be more judgmental. You know, to how we can look down at others. That's something that Paul would be way more concerned about, that the image of Christianity becomes, those are people who are against everything. Those are people who just, you know, and again, if you're like, if you really have a big, it's a stumbling thing if somebody, if Christians went trick-or-treating or something like that, um, okay, you know, you don't have to go. You don't have to give out candy. You also don't have to set up at your house, you know, and, and pass out tracks with no candy to tell people that you're going to hell for trick-or-treating. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing either. Do, do whatever the Lord leads you to do. It's not, you know, but we shouldn't send out the message that, oh, we Christians, we're the ones that don't celebrate holidays. Kind of like the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know. Oh, they don't celebrate holidays, and therefore they think they're somehow better. They don't salute the flag because their loyalty is only to God, not to America. I had a friend growing up whose, whose dad, whenever a Jehovah's Witness would come over and knock on their door, he had an American flag right behind the door. And he said, I'll read your magazine when you salute my flag. And, you know, but that's not the way Christians should be coming off, you know. Not, and, and, and that's really what he's saying. And a lot of times we use these verses to do just the opposite. We're telling everyone that what they're doing is stumbling others. Well, if you're going to say that somebody's stumbling others, you better have some real good evidence for it. You better really know that. Don't just tell me I'm stumbling people because people are surprised that I do something. I hope I do surprise you sometimes. I hope, I hope there are things that you go, I love it whenever somebody goes, well, I didn't think a pastor would like ultimate fighting or whatever. Well, yeah, you know, some do. Um, some don't. That's okay, too. But that should be more what we're about rather than 
making people have this image of Christianity that would drive people away from Christianity because we're always so negative and critical about everything. Now, he goes on in verse 14, and he says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus. This is something he got from the Lord personally, that there is nothing unclean of itself. Paul is basically, I'm not superstitious about anything. It's amazing. I can do whatever, and I'm not... All these things that people argue about, not a problem for me. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So he goes, if you think you shouldn't do it, then for you, you shouldn't do it. But again, it all comes down to answer for yourself. Paul's going, I could do about anything. But if, if I can do it and you can't, don't you go do it just because I'm okay. Don't you start drinking because a good Christian tells you that they drink or don't start gambling or don't start watching ultimate fighting. If, if to you seeing people beat each other up is just brutal and horrible and, and non-Christian, that's fine for you. Don't, don't tell me that I can't do it, but I'm not telling you that you need to sit there and force yourself to see it until it doesn't bother you anymore. No, I'm not trying to change anybody. And that's what he's saying. Don't, you know, if it's unclean for you, it's unclean. Just go with your conscience. Go with what you feel for you yet. If your brother is grieved or sad because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. So he's going, don't bum people out on purpose. Now, he's not just saying that every time anybody is critical of what you're doing, stop doing it. But he goes on to explain a little further, do not destroy, and the word there is Apollyon, it, it means to utterly and completely destroy. It's one of the names of Satan when he's called the destroyer. It's, it's talking about don't send somebody to hell with your food, the one for whom Christ died. Interesting verse, interesting side note for, for you Calvinists. <laughs> Calvinists believe in what's called limited atonement. Jesus only died for the elect. I understand that. There's, there's a sense to which, you know, the only people who benefit from the atonement are people who respond to it. So uh, there's some truth to it. But here's a, one of the verses that definitely says there are some people who could go to hell, but Jesus died for them. I believe personally in universal atonement. I think everyone in hell except Satan and his angels, Jesus died for them. I believe that when it says he died for the sins of the world, I believe it was everyone, and this is just another verse to support that if you really want to argue that point. But his whole thing is, don't be so stuck on what you're doing that in any way it might endanger someone else's salvation. So who should we be sensitive to? Maybe brand new Christians that haven't had a chance to grow. Certainly people who are coming around and considering Christianity, but you know they haven't necessarily made that jump yet or made that response. But is what you do, are you gonna, are you gonna say, I'm gonna do this and I don't, everybody else can go to hell for all I care. I'm just gonna do what I'm gonna do. He goes, that's not loving. Be concerned about what you do, how that affects other people's eternity. Be aware of the fact that people are watching you and and some of them, based on how you live, 
are going to be influenced by how to live their lives. So he says, I mean, be sensitive, be watching, make sure that you don't just, just because you can justify what you're doing, don't do it if it's going to destroy somebody else. Therefore, verse 16, don't let your good, if you know it's good, don't let it be spoken of as evil. The, the word, the Greek word there is the word blaspheme. And, and the idea is, you're, you're doing what's right, you're justified, but don't put it out there where then when people see the hassle that's caused by it, they end up speaking against God. They end up rejecting Jesus Christ because, oh, you just think that you're right. And I, and I think there are certain things that we could do that might cause people to actually turn away from Christ. And this is something we should be sensitive about because, you know, on the one hand, People need to see that we are like them, but on the other hand, they also want to see differences. They also want to see that we're providing an alternative lifestyle in Christianity, a different way of living. And so we do need to be thinking, because sometimes if we are just partying just like they are, maybe it wouldn't be a sin for me to be in an environment to go hang out in a bar and drink or whatever. It might not. I, I honestly, personally... I could probably go in a bar and have a few drinks and play around a pool and whatever. And I don't think that I would be displeasing to God if I did that. Just if it's just, if there's nobody else in the bar. Um, and if I'm sharing with some people in the bar, it could even be a good thing. But I'm not going to do that. That's not my ministry. Because I think there are some people who would look at that and go, I'm ruining my life with this. And you're doing the same thing. I know, I, I know some guys who, Christians, who really want to reach out and minister in some radical places, but the result of it sometimes is that people who aren't Christians look at them and they go, you're just trying to be like us, but you're a real cheesy verg- version of us. You don't even do it right. Some of the... Some of the um, clubs that are, that are trying to reach outlaw biker gangs do this. They start becoming outlaws themselves. And yet the outlaw gangs never respect them. They look at it. Now, there are some guys who have clubs that are out there witnessing to outlaw bikers, and it's clear that there's a difference. There are some others that you probably read about one just a while back who got in a fight with some Hell's Angels down in a bar in Newport and you know, charges were filed and cops came in and everything like that. Well, that's clearly a case. The Hell's Angels aren't going to go, man, these guys drink with us, they fight with us, they get arrested with us. Then they'd go, they're no different than we are. And they aren't as likely to be drawn to Christ as somebody who has a higher standard for themselves, who doesn't judge the bikers, but who comes and brings a message to them of hope and peace and joy and an alternative. And so, you know, Paul is just saying, be aware that sometimes you need to be different in order to reach people. You don't want to look just like them and then they blaspheme God because they think, oh, you're just like you. I, you know, I like it when people see that I have something in common with them, but I would be concerned if they started going, if non-Christians started going, you're just like us. Jesus had the perfect balance because non-Christians, heathens, sinners 
loved him. He was called the friend of sinners. They loved hanging around him because they saw how different he was, and yet he wasn't trying to judge them or make them feel bad about the way that they didn't have to pretend anything with him. And he reached out to them and let them know, oh, there's so much more that you can have. There's so much more that my father has for you. I, I love you. I'm not judging you, but boy, I hope you see that this is a different way of living than the way that you're living. And that's the balance. On the one hand, judging them and driving them away and having them blaspheme. On the other hand, being just like them and nobody can tell the difference and therefore they blaspheme. He goes, no, people need, people need Jesus. And we need to do whatever we can do to, to bring them to an awareness of who he is and to not in any way drive them away, especially by our little technical scruples of what's right and what's wrong. You know, that we're drawing a line in the sand and they're definitely on the other side. Four, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what life is about. Righteousness, peace, joy. Bring that into people's lives. Bring that into the church. Do what you can do to be at peace with others, to do good things for them, to experience joy, to actually enjoy life. When people see that, they're seeing the kingdom of God. That's the real alternative that we offer. Not misery and judgmentalism and negativity and paranoia. Righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what it's about. And he says, he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. God is pleased with you. If you're living in righteousness and peace and joy, God's approved by you, but also people are going to go, wow, that's cool. I, I appreciate how you are. You don't make me feel the way other religious people sometimes make me feel, and yet I realize you have something that I don't have. Therefore, let's pursue the things which make for peace. Let's not look for ways to make division. Let's see how well we can get along. Pursue the things that, are made for, that make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Paul over in 1 Corinthians talks about this. Everything that we should do should be edifying. Everything we say should be edifying. All of the way in which we interact with others should be edifying, building up. Before you talk to someone else, if you could possibly ask yourself the question, is, is this interaction going to really make them feel better? Is it going to build them up? Is it going to edify them? Or is it not? And we go, well, well, well but wait a minute. I mean, first thing, you know, sometimes you have to do a little bit of demolition before you do construct. No, no, no. That's not your job. Building up encouraging others. Even when you have to talk to someone about something that they're doing that's destroying them or someone else and God has called you to go to them, it's always with the idea of building them up, of encouraging, of edifying. If it's only tearing down, it's not right. I don't care how correct you are, it's wrong. If people walk away from you hanging their head because 
man, that was tough. <laughs> then you didn't do it right. It's not edifying. And I'll tell you, one way to recognize how well you do this is how anxious are people to talk to you. Are people waiting around to talk to you, or do they turn their head and walk the other direction when you come walking up? If you say to someone, can I talk to you for a minute? Do they go, oh, boy. <laughs> or do they go, yeah. There are some people, every time they talk to me, it's something wrong. There are other people, every time they talk to me, they want to share something that God's doing that's awesome, that's great. I want to be the kind of person who, when I say, can I talk to you? People go, what do you have for me? How, how can you build me up? And this happens because you intentionally do it. It usually doesn't happen if you live your life just reacting, just answering other people who come to you. Edification happens because you decide, who can I build up today? How can I encourage some other people? Sometimes it means writing an email to someone when they didn't write one to you. And the Lord's convicted me on this recently, and and I'm starting to do that. Some just out of the blue, just email somebody for no reason. Just go, hey, I'm praying for you. I love you or whatever. Um, it's building up. It's edifying. You can't do too much of that. But you have to practice to get used to it. Otherwise, all you're doing in your communication is, you know, trying to fix things, trying to straighten things out. And that never totally feels edifying. It doesn't feel encouraging or lifting up. One of the things that I've been doing lately, you know, and every morning as I spend time with the Lord, I pray for, for my wife. And, uh, but I started recently praying for Anne and going, and I do this every, every day for her and, and a few other people that I pray for every day. I go, God, I've asked you to bless them. Now what can I do to help answer that prayer? So I'm going, here I am. I mean, I've always just, Oh, God, encourage Ann. Give her a great day. Help her to have fun today. Help her to feel good. Help her to do. And now I'm going, now, is there any part of that that I'm asking God to do that I actually could do? I could contribute? I might help? And it's really kind of changed a lot of the ways that I pray for people because I don't just toss it out there. I think maybe I can be a part of the answer too. And again, all of this is a part of edification, Rather than, I mean, every day you could, if you wanted to, you could spend your whole day calling people and emailing them and telling them things that they're doing wrong. Thinking back in your life about everyone who's ever hurt you and letting them know how much they hurt you. But does that really feel good? Does it help anyone else? I mean, I know when I hear someone who's been bitter against me for 20 years and I like don't even remember who they are, it doesn't encourage me. Even if they say, I've noticed lately you're a lot different. You used to be such a jerk. Now you're, you know, a lot nicer. I'm like, well, I, okay. I mean, I guess that's good. The ones I love are the ones when they go, you know, five or six years ago, I left your church because, you know, I just thought you were so insensitive and, and cruel and all these things. But I was just listening to you on the radio the other day. I can see how much God is working in your life and how much you're growing and I, and I really can see God's working and I wanted to let you know. And I'm like, 
they're playing a six-year-old tape. I, back when you hated me was when I said that stuff, you know. <laughs> you didn't hear it. Now I have some things I could say to you that would reinforce, but I just let it go, you know. <laughs> I just go, oh, thanks. But it's a commandment that we edify each other, that that should be the filter that we use behind what we communicate. Sometimes there are things we have to say that are negative or critical, and it's not possible to always have someone receive it as being edifying. But, you know, if somebody, you know, wants to, you know, calls up and they want to talk to me, and it's like, you know, sometimes I just have to say, you know what, we've been through this already, we've talked about it a lot, I don't think we'll get anything more done by this, and so I'm sorry, I'm going to have to, you know, draw the line, and we're not going to have that conversation again. You could go, well, that wasn't very edifying. Well, no, if somebody needs to hear that, if you're being honest, it should be. They ought to be able to hear it that way. Now, some people aren't ready to hear it that way. There are some people who, if you say to them, you know what, I'm not going to talk to you anymore because it's just never, it's never uplifting. You always bum me out when we talk. Now, they may take that, oh, that's awful, and they want to tell everybody else how awful you are. Well, isn't that better than if you continue to have negative, you go have another fight with them or have another division with them? At some point, the most edifying thing is to admit the obvious and just go, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. But in everything that we do, we should be considering what is for the best long-term What's going to build rather than tear down? So he says, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So don't push people into rejecting Christ because you've imposed upon them your personal standards. Don't insist on, this is the only music I'll listen to, if it's going to cause people to go, if that's the only music Christians have, I just, I'm, I'm out. Um, it's good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or trapped, or is made weak, or crippled. Yeah, I don't, I mean, if, if you had to, you should give up anything in your life that will really destroy people like that. Most of the time, you're not going to, you know, a lot of people go, oh, then why did Paul eat and drink? Which he did. Well, because he's saying, if I had to, I'd give it up. But obviously, I don't have to. There are alternatives. One of them is, I don't have to flaunt what I'm doing. I don't have to tell you every time we get together, oh, man, I had another glass of wine last night at dinner. It sure was good. no. People are sensitive about it. Keep it to yourself. Some other things, some other issues that can come up really is that I don't have to try to push other people to see it my way. But at the same time, I can educate people. I can talk to someone who's, who's maybe younger in the Lord and help talk them through some of these issues and help them to discover truth for themselves. All of that is, is an alternative to just going, I'm just going to offend you and I don't care what you think. Do you have faith, verse 22? Have it to yourself before God. (coughs) I like that. 
You answer to God for what you do or don't do. Keep it to yourself. Don't get in big discussions. Now, <clears throat> I've probably prompted some of these discussions by bringing up some of these issues. The last thing I want you to do is all to go home and talk about whether you ought to gamble or drink or dance or cuss or whatever. No, you know, really, you're best off just not even dealing with that stuff. That's between, that's up to you. I mean, there are some pastors who use really strong language from the pulpit. Personally, I'm not stumbled by that, although I don't do that. You'll never hear me doing it. Um, I try to avoid even tame language that might offend people. The reason is you can communicate sometimes almost as effectively without turning people away, and then that becomes, your language becomes the center of attention. You don't need that kind of attention. When people leave the church, I want them to be thinking about Jesus and what he has done and his grace. I don't want them to be thinking about that edgy joke that I told or that choice of words that I used that, that, that may have been, uh, may have been the, the most effective way to say it, but I know that it would be a distraction. I remember a girl in our school years ago who, there was a, a, a boy who made fun of another boy who was, was physically really deformed a bit because of an accident. He had been run over by an 18-wheeler, and so his head was kind of um, malformed because of it. And, and so this other girl who was new to the school and was a real um, streetwise kind of kid, when she saw another kid making fun of him, she called him a bad name. Now, the name, in one respect, was in some ways appropriate. I mean, it's like, yeah, he is. If anybody ever was that, he is. But at the same time, you just can't have that kind of language around school. So I wrote a note to her parents, and I said, I said uh, her comment, though accurate, was inappropriate. <laughs> but the idea is... Let's not have distractions. Let's not be so stuck on what we have the liberty to do that I'm just going to do it and I don't care. We have a race to run. And there are some things we certainly have to get rid of our sins. It talks about in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Get rid of the weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. I'm in an endurance race. I need to eliminate sin as much as I can from my life but I also find out some things are just weight, and I'm better off, I can run a better race without them. So I make all sorts of compromises. If you think that what I say is offensive, you should hear what I'm thinking that I don't say, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, it's just not worth it. I, I, I don't go there. So I'm, I'm never trying to be outlandish or controversial or a shock jock kind of people. I, I just... You know, I really try to tailor it to, so that the truth comes out clearly. At least that's my goal, and you can judge how well I do that. Happy is he who does not condemn or judge himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So if you feel like you shouldn't do something, don't do it. If, if you were to force yourself to do it just to see what it was like, or because you know other Christians who are doing it, that would be a sin. If you, if, 
when in October we have a Halloween alternative and little kids dress up in costumes and get sick on candy, if, if you just feel like, well, the church is doing it, but I feel weird about it, don't do it. You don't have to. You don't have to judge anybody else. You don't have to do it. Basically, the bottom line there is follow what God tells you. Follow the leading of the Spirit. And it might be that you're in one place at one time of your life, and then you, you grow and you, you change your mind about some issues. That's totally fine. But you do what God is showing you in your heart, because whatever is not a faith is sin. So even if it's not wrong absolutely for everyone, if it's wrong for you, don't do it. Be willing to let go of it. There are some things I could say that I don't think it would be a sin for me to say it, but... I just have that feeling. Sometimes it comes after I say it. I'm like, oh boy, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so at that point, that's sin. So I'm not considering it enough and, and walking in that faith. And so that's a good rule for us. And he's going to continue. Sorry I went so long, but I really wanted to get through the 14th chapter. And, and it all fits as a unit. But chapter 15 is just a continuation of the same and you can read it before next um, Wednesday if you want and uh, and we'll talk about it some more Lord thank you for your word so practical and God we understand that everything that you have is not only good for us and a blessing to us and should bring joy and peace and 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 love into our lives but it's also if we're following you we're going to be like magnets to people who don't know you. Help us to look for those stumbling stones. Help us to look for those traditions and behaviors and words that, that might tend to alienate people and drive them away from you. We want everything that we do to be attractive to people that you are drawing by your spirit. Lord, help us to not judge each other anymore. Help us to stop that. It's so offensive to you and to others. So help us to learn the lesson, to not judge, to accept each other because you've accepted us, to appreciate differences, to admire the variety. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, sorry for keeping.